Do you want me to start with Corella, or do we want to talk about how much we liked Quiet Place 2? Yeah, well, I haven't seen Cruella, but if you want to do a little quick quick power power review of Cruella, you can go for it. Sure. It's not fully Joker for the ladies, but it kind of (laughs) is. That's kind of what it is. Two words, Dalmatian dropkick. I'll leave it at that. Oh, now, now I feel the need to see it. Here's the thing, though, is that... What I'm talking about, that dropkick made me go, well, now I need to watch the movie. And then the majority of the movie was just, oh, this is kind of what I expected. <laughs> and then the ending happened, and the ending was also stupid. Oh, but okay. it wasn't the worst Disney live-action thing, which is I've fucking heard, I've sad. I've heard some people... Well, <laughs> which is I've silly. Heard, I've heard several people say it might be the best Disney live-action thing. Sure, I guess. I, don't, I know that's not a super I know. high bar to clear, but... I still think with Jungle Book existing, I feel like even if you don't love that movie, I feel like that movie just objectively trumps most of what's been coming out, especially with yeah. Lion King and fucking Mulan. But, yeah, I mean, Cruella was like... Just not the worst thing in the world, but also hilariously dumb. Okay. I mean, Emma Stone was fun. Emma Stone definitely felt like she loved the Glenn Close performance in the original um, live-action 101 Dalmatians. wanted to give her tribute to uh, it. She chews the scenery, and I appreciate that at least. Yeah. And Emma Thompson's, like, the perfect, like, rigid asshole. Mm. She kills it in that, too. And it's already got a sequel lined up. Yeah, just like Joker. <laughs> in classic, just like just like the first time it happened, it gets the sequel announcement right after Joker. Yeah. <laughs> which is just unfortunate, but hey, I feel like that'll be more interesting than the Lion King 2 that's apparently in development with Barry fucking Jenkins oh, as boy. the director. That's did, odd. Did you read what the the rumors are as to what it's supposed to be? No. Young Mufasa is apparently oh, all we've known. Great. It's not Simba's Pride. It's not Lion it's King a one prequel. and a half. It might be with the guy from Moonlight and if Beale Street could <laughs> talk. That's just unfortunate with such a great director. Yeah. But we'll see. Now let's get to Quiet Place Part Two. I'm done with that. We'll push it to the side. Let's talk about what actually was the better film Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, it's the it's the real it's the real bring you back to theaters movie. Which is funny because like. Godzilla vs. Kong kind of felt like that, but then watching this in theaters, getting closer to if you're vaccinated, you can take off your mask on June 7th, at least in Indiana, it felt like the, wow, yeah, this feels a little bit more normal. Yeah. And it was, I didn't expect that from this film. But then again, that wasn't what the film's intention was. No, this film it's was not supposed like to set out. It was supposed that. to come out in March last year, right? <laughs> yeah, 2020. <laughs> yeah, and here we are. Yeah. And it's good. It it's... is. I actually, you know, it, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I think I actually like it more than the first one. I think um, to and that's some not to degree. say and that's not to say that I think the first one's like amazing or anything. I have my issues with mm-hmm. both movies, but I I I enjoy both, and I really came away from this one feeling like like so shockingly enough, I felt like after walking out of part two that like this was the main story to be told and the events of part one were like set up or like background for these characters mm-hmm. to jump off from, which was an interesting, I was not expecting to feel that way. I, I remember when the first one came out and they announced a sequel, I was immediately like, why please don't do a sequel. This mm-hmm. is the exact kind of movie that's got like a real cut and dry premise where you don't need to know all the details of the world and that sort of thing. And I was just like, they're going to botch it. And they didn't, and I actually think it's got a lot of a lot of great heart in it. 
Yeah, I think what really helps this film a lot is the fact that Krasinski wanted to do it. Not initially. Yeah. The story is, is basically Krasinski does A Quiet Place. He does A Quiet Place, I think, mainly because of support from Michael Bay, where it's yeah. like he wants to do his own film. And the, both these films are produced by Bay's production company, Platinum Dunes. And Quiet Place 1 works, but he's like, I want to do something different. And they're like, oh, okay, well, can you at least write like a treatment for the second film? And then he started writing the treatment, and he's like, well, God damn it, I guess I'm I have to this do movie. this. Yeah. And there's a great video if you haven't seen it out there yet. Um, I think Vanity Fair does like a shot, like a scene by scene kind of talks to him about the opening of Quiet Place 2. Oh, yeah, I watched that. And that's really good video. I think yeah. that really shows like just his enthusiasm as a director. Is he great? It's only two films under his belt. We don't necessarily know, but I yeah. think he is really, really good so far. I think he shows marked improvement from the first one to the Absolutely. second one. Just on a technical level and, and how he shoots the characters and that sort of thing. Especially the opening. I think the opening, yeah, the opening of the is film amazing. is the best part of the film. And I like the whole film. I just think that part just was like, man, I'm kind of invested into what this world is trying to do with all these monsters yeah, and shit. It, it was weird going from in the first one walking away and being like, it's a really cool kind of mysterious world they built, but I don't need to know more of it. Mm-hmm. To now, like, wow, I'm really glad that I've gotten to kind of sink yeah. my teeth in more to the to the world and the situation that they're in. And with a strong director attached to a spinoff and or the third film, yeah. Jeff Nichols, it'll be interesting to see what the next one's going to be. But yeah, if you haven't seen either films, I'd recommend both of them. Definitely. They're a fun time in they're, theaters. They're definitely like kind of... You know, cornering the market on the like kind of semi family friendly horror thriller adventure film. Yeah, it's like an action horror. That's yeah, because it's not it's not super heavy on the horror. It's not terrifying. It's not mm-hmm. super violent. I mean, lots of people get killed, but not like gruesomely. Yeah, if you're like a, if it's you're like, like in the background, they just get clubbed by an alien. <laughs> if you're like a parent who loves like Evil Dead or like monster films and gory monster films, but you don't want to introduce your teenagers to that yet, yeah. A Quiet Place is like the perfect kind of like easy kind of food to get them into that in yeah. terms of like how much fun and creative that subgenre can be. And yeah, you can't really go wrong with that. And it's kind of astounding that it didn't stay number one. The its entire run i mean it's only like two weeks in but this... yeah well it did get followed up by like the biggest horror franchise yeah currently and also <laughs> cruella surprisingly just fucking making more money yeah. than i think anyone anticipated so i guess disney wasn't an idiot for putting it simultaneous in premiere yeah. and in theaters but we're not talking about either of those films in today's episode we're talking about something scarier. Hello, everyone. I'm Logan Zowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy, we talk about the trio of films, and we discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And today, we are talking about a spooky, I can't even do it, spooky <laughs> series, a trilogy that just ended, or hopefully just ended, <laughs> we last <don't> weekend, <laughs> and... Um, that is the Conjuring trilogy. Yes, folks, we are doing 2013's The Conjuring, 2016's Conjuring 2, and 2021's The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. <laughs> and it is a very fascinating trilogy, but I think it's more fascinating in terms of the production and like the process of how all these three films ended up getting made. Yeah, and also kind of the, than... the place they fill in the sort of 
the horror genre and blockbusters at the time that they release. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, mean, for starters, along with Insidious, The Conjuring kind of created the new era of blockbuster horror, Mm -hmm. of kind of your mainstream horror that everybody could pack in and scream together and and be spooked. Um, Because to me, I think of the 2000s as the... Not a fully, because there are other great horror films that came yeah. out in the 2000s, but in terms of mainstream horror, the torture porn era. Yeah. Where it was Saw, which is directed by James Wan, <laughs> who did the first two Conjuring films. Yeah. Um, and Insidious. Yes. He made the first Saw, was not intending to make it gorier or just nastier than it was, but when he left to do other things <laughs> and Lionsgate decided to turn Saw into a franchise for the next five years there yeah. would be six more films yeah. at the time and now we have nine total with spiral uh, coming out this year yeah but at the tail end of that we see what kill saw which is the paranormal activity films which right. is basically low budget horror films that are easy to make and if you market them in the right way you can make hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> And those last four, if I do the math correct, I think six total films. Okay, yeah. With a new one that's supposed to be a remake, reboot, supposedly coming out exclusively on Paramount Plus in the next year. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But so it's like, those are what I think of what leads into the early 2010s, which is where I think leads into right before The Conjuring, we have Juan's first big spooky horror ghost film, Insidious. Yeah. Which has nothing to tie it into The Conjuring, but it does show his promise in terms of a ghost story narrative because that film does exceptionally well. Yeah. I think box office wise, I think critically it's pretty much like, oh, it's a horror film. People enjoy it, right. and, but people see a lot of creativity in what Juan and Wannell are trying to do. And so we lead into 2013's The Conjuring, which is completely different to a degree that this is a film that is supposedly based off of the real-life cases of demonologists. Yeah, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yes, and before we get into what we think of the films, we should probably establish to both of us, and just also let everyone know, if you believe in ghosts, if you believe in the supernatural, we are not making fun of your belief while we both don't probably we don't fully both believe in ghosts yeah i would i would say in, in terms of personally i love ghosts in narratives i think yeah, narratively they're cool stories absolutely and i think they're interesting symbols of how people explain the unexplainable yeah. you get or the inexplicable right? yeah you get great cinematic moments with ghosts you get really good tv shows with ghosts you even if you do not believe in ghosts, I think most people can admit that ghost stories and media can sometimes have some great moments. And knowing that, going into The Conjuring, what's really weird is to watch this film and have to see it as if, like, this is somewhat based off of a true story. Yeah, it was really interesting watching through them this time around, just thinking about, like... And, I mean, I was doing a little bit of cursory research in between movies of, like the Warren's actual careers in real life and that sort of thing. And it's just like, it, it starts to get laughable. It really starts to get laughable about in Conjuring 2. Yeah. It kind of goes off the rails in Conjuring 3. Um, when you, I don't know, the, the sort of deification or 
heroification of Ed and Lorraine as characters in these movies in comparison to kind of what we know or what people have said about <laughs> Ed and Lorraine mm-hmm. Warren yeah. in real life. And that's, you know, we're not passing judgment on Ed or Lorraine Warren or no. people who like them or work with them or any worked with them or anything. Um, but it, it is interesting the kind of, I, like, I don't think James Wan or even, any, you know, any of the producers or the studio are, uh, you know, advocating for Ed and Lorraine's stance on ghosts and demons and the supernatural. No. But at the same time, they kind of, I don't know, it, it's this weird sort of glorification or romancing of mm-hmm. their exploits uh when kind of in real life a lot of people saw them as sort of sort of skeezy frauds yeah, like or, con artists and hucksters yeah, and, yeah well that's the thing too is like the what we know is the conjuring universe in the first conjuring film it started off in the 2000s as like a producer who really wanted to turn the warren stories into a film narrative and wrote the initial treatment which will become this first film but for time and time again he would try to sell it to studios and they wouldn't take it and it was like okay fine whatever then near the late 2000s, early 2010s, he basically gives them off to the Hayes brothers, mm-hmm. um, who are the two screenwriters for the first con- first and second Conjuring, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they basically create this version of the Conjuring, where in the initial version, uh, in the original treatment, it's about the family who's dealing with the haunting, while as in the final product, the Hayes decided, what if we made the Warrens the main characters, per se? Right. And that basically changes kind of the whole concept of how the film feels because it does feel like the film, whether it meant to or not at that very beginning, goes like we could have more films detailing these people as characters. Yeah, well, and it's kind of a natural fit for a franchise anyway because the Warrens have such a long, had such a long and, and storied career. They're, they're and both born in the late 20s. Yeah, like they, and they were, they were active, I mean, in, in very public cases um from the 60s through the 80s yep. um and it's just you know they were all over the place and they saw all sorts of things by their account and so it's like and they collected objects from every case they had so mm-hmm. it's like that's a natural fit for a franchise like monster of the week type stuff oh absolutely it makes it, ma- it makes sense but at the yeah. same time too when that film was in development initially it wasn't it was never that way. To, no yeah, yeah. Well, and there had been stories or movies and TV films and stuff um, about, like, cases that the Warrens worked on before. Like, the, yes. like the Conjuring was not the first adaptation of their work. No, no, no. Um, they, were usually, they were usually side characters in those stories. Right, right. Were, and the were... Conjuring kind of, when you see yeah. that flip in the final project, product, you can see how that sort of opens mm-hmm. the door for, like, oh, well, if we... If they're the main characters, then we can make as many of these as we want. I think, hilariously enough, because it's it's not new in terms of, like, it's almost that they're like, what if we just treat the Warrens like the priests and the exorcist, where we actually follow them outside mm-hmm. of the actual case, right. and then when they intersect, then we can actually get into the real meat and potatoes of the spooky, yeah. demonic, you know, kind of possession shit. And it's interesting, because I didn't realize until rewatching the movies this time how long it takes in the first movie for ed oh and lorraine to become a part of the situation at the i can't remember the family's name but i but the first family the haunted house yeah. basically yeah, lily taylor and ron livingston's family yeah which is like joey king <laughs> renesme from, from twilight, twilight yeah. and then another another girl 
And then April, I think, was the only blonde girl who was oh, the only yeah. blonde little sister. And yeah, it's I'm going to say it now, that one of the biggest issues about all three of these films is they do not need to be pushing two hours or over two hours long. Yeah. That yeah. is... That was ridiculous watching this one again being like, my God, this movie is nearly two hours and the Warrens are like eating breakfast in the background and like a <laughs> shot, like a scene or two and being like, they have nothing tied to whatever is going on. Yeah. The, it, the, it's a weird thing because it's their, it's their, it's the heart and also the downfall of this series is kind of that, that extra padded time because mm-hmm. I, personally for me the most that i get out of these movies at least on this watch through um is the kind of little bits of character development that ed and lorraine yeah. get and patrick wilson and vera farmiga's performances are great and so like those moments where they slow down and they're just kind of looking at each other or having fun or being nice people like those are really the moments that stand out to me not the scares mm-hmm. but by the same token those moments also slow down an already overlong story, and so it's like ah, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it almost makes kind of an awkward product. It almost makes sense it, it, to a point. It's like you're watching the film and you're going, "I feel like I know how they're gonna get involved," mm-hmm. and then it almost becomes exactly how you think they're gonna get involved, where it's like they're doing a seminar at a college, and oh, who's there? It's Lily Taylor who's right. been dealing with possession stuff, <laughs> or it's like in Conjuring Two, it's like. A priest comes in with a tape and is like, have you seen this tape? Oh, yeah. It's from this family in England. You should go check out. But this is like 90 minutes <laughs> <laughs> or like at least an hour in. It's like, why is this taking so yeah. long? And then, yeah, we talked about this when we were watching them. But the most shocking thing about rewatching at least the first one is that it just isn't really scary. The first anymore. one? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's good tense moments, but I don't remember being as like again but then again, we yeah. were in a theater setting but sure at the same time, but i mean uh you know hey my living room's not half bad no you get a nice but, uh, new 4k tv nice new 4k it's tv nice. with a surround sound system I no know. but but yeah no i agree with you it's not all that doesn't feel all that scary anymore although i think you and i have both experienced you know to to for lack of a less pre- pretentious term uh, a higher form of horror no indie by horror other studios indie indie horror yeah literally yeah. a year after this is it follows which yeah. i think and that kind of spurs on a new wave of it, indie it, thrillers and horror it fucking rides circles in on all three of these films yeah. in terms of like creepy shit and, yeah in terms of just the tension and, and just like just cinematography in terms of just just technical aspects, narrative aspects, yeah. the scores. It's like, for yeah. some reason, after The Conjuring hits, independent horror just becomes so much more engaging yeah. than it really have, ever has been. Yeah, well, I think it's, yeah, it's starting to get better funded by that point. I mean, yeah. there's some good indie horror in, like, the previous decade, but it's all, like, <laughs> way more indie. Like, it's more yeah. lo-fi oh, yeah. and that sort of thing. And It Follows is a super glossy-looking, mm-hmm. you know, really well-produced piece of work. Um, and then, of course, you know, A24 joins the game and starts to kind of take that corner over. Becomes more prominent. Yeah, and uh, The Conjuring has just been kind of the the stalwart blockbuster horror franchise amidst the rise of indie horror, the resurgence of indie horror. And it's just kind of been holding on there. (laughs) Which is so funny to me because budgetary-wise, the first Conjuring is only $20 million. 
That right. is not even. I don't even think that's considered mid level for blockbusters. No, and I don't know that it was necessarily expected to be a blockbuster. I don't know if it was either. But it's clear by the second one and the numerous spinoffs that spawn mm, from the first we'll one. Get to them. <laughs> um, it's clear that immediately, you know, after it releases, that is it Warner Brothers. Yeah, Warner Brothers. New Line and Warner Brothers. New Line yep. realizes what they've got and is going to milk it. Mm-hmm. The only, you know, the best horror blockbuster series executive produced by Steve Mnuchin. <laughs> it's truly all you can really ask yeah. for. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just so weird to watch it this time and be like, I do think I really appreciate how in this film there is less skeezy kind of like fake jump scares or like just abrupt jump scares. Yeah. The film does a great job of kind of setting up true tension so when the real spooky shit happens, it really is just, it hits at the right time. Yeah, it act, I mean, it really does feel like uh, James Wan kind of trying to evoke retro horror of like the 70s. Yes. Where it's a little more eerie and atmospheric. I mean, there's still some of that kind of modern quality to it with, with jump scares and kind of campy editing and that sort of thing. But it really is, it feels a little more more raw. And yeah, just the dolly zoom shot that's like yeah. right, it's basically the Zaw, the jaws shot of yeah. look going into brody just doing that in an open field towards the house is like there's like a like from yeah. a ghost it's like such a good 70s-esque vibe <laughs> to it that yeah i think juan juan definitely did this film because he was like i haven't done a horror film especially a ghost film that's based off of real life people and i yeah. find that very interesting in terms of trying to create a, not a caricature, but a version of these characters that feels uh, respectful to the real people. Yeah. And, yeah, the big thing about the series going into it, as you should probably know, is that the script isn't trying to critique the Warrens in any way. It's no. not demonizing the Warrens anyway. In fact, like Andy has said, it is basically treating them as the saviors of the film. Yeah. And it's, it it's... is jarring at times. Yeah, and I think that I would have less of a problem with that i mean i don't have a problem with the warrens personally but um no but i would have a less of a less of a problem with the franchise kind of you know giving them the hero treatment or just kind of the straight romantic um you know saviors kind of thing if it was less insistent on the like based on a true story stuff yeah like if you just said Okay, the first one is inspired, you know, it's about Ed and Lorraine Warren, it's inspired by their stories, and now we're just going to go off in our own fantasy world and create this kind of parallel universe where Ed and Lorraine Warren are these super successful demonologists that save the day a thousand times, but it's like every movie, they insist, like, this is a true story. This is this very famous case from 1978, 1981. The case that shocked the world. Yeah, and it's like, yes, these are real events that, like, people read about in the newspapers when they happened. And we're watching these just ridiculous versions of them where where Ed and Lorraine are, like, running and gunning and jumping and saving people from cliffs and Mm -hmm. falling out of windows. Yeah, because in this one, the the silly thing about it is, like, the premise is pretty straightforward where you basically find out the first film. What has happened to this family is they've moved into a house where an ex-Salem witch hundreds of years ago basically was trying to 
I believe, sacrificed her daughter or did sacrifice her daughter, got caught by her husband, and then hangs herself so she doesn't get arrested. Yeah. And then is basically just haunting women with children who ever move into the house. Right. And forcing those women to kill their children in honor of Satan and witchcraft and all that. And while this all comes out and just like a Vera Farmiga just blurting out this information (laughs) and like randomly for a minute or two – it feels like, oh, at least I understand what the stakes are now. Yeah. I've now see I've seen the warning signs throughout the film. I've really enjoyed that. And now I'm like, I can now put one to one together. It's cool. But then you see stuff where it's like you see a little girl a girl gets her hair, she gets pulled from her hair and gets thrown into a wall. Oh yeah. You see Lorraine Warren in one of the un it was not meant to be funny, but it now is fucking hilarious. <laughs> you see Lorraine Warren just oh. fall in between walls. Like, she finds a little She's in, little like, a hole. cubby or a closet type yeah, thing between a, the walls. She's in a closet. There's a hole in the closet. Goes into the wall, and then a piece of wood breaks, and she just slides right down into the basement. Yeah. Doesn't break any limbs. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't cut herself, herself on anything. Yeah, it doesn't. Just falls straight two, three stories and like into a, the earth. In, like, a chimney or something that's in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the funniest thing where it's, like... Lorraine, did that really happen? Yeah, right. Well, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, too, where it's like, it, it's hard not to at moments where, the one moment that also made me laugh personally is there's a, there's a moment where it's establishing the film that in the film, Lorraine has the ability to almost like, has like empathic abilities where she can touch an object or a memento that people like very much have fond memories of. She can feel said memories. And there's a moment where a mother has a picture of all her kids mm-hmm. at the beach and they're all smiling and having a fun time. And then she touches it and goes, it must have been a really fun time, wasn't yeah. it? And the mom goes, oh, how'd you know? And it's like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? You guys are, ha- like, having a blast. You're at the beach. You don't live at the beach, obviously. Right. You could just say by the process of elimination, this is a good photo. Yeah, it's a picture of you guys happy at the beach. It was like, it wasn't meant to feel like a con, like, con artisty moment, but it felt really weird yeah, how was, that was played. Just but it just didn't quite sell it. Which is weird, too, because it's like, later on in the series, it feels like they do their best never to, like, ever bring the, like, uh, Warrens into real question. Yeah. Like, anytime everyone questions them in the series, it very much feels like, we're the bad guys. Yeah. We just don't understand your talents. Yeah, it's, it's very like, much okay. the movie kind of laughing at the people who question them because then Lorraine goes and, like, proves it, proves yeah. her power by guessing something she couldn't have guessed. But it's still, like, it's still very silly at times. But yeah, o- it's But very overall, funny. I think the first Conjuring is not our favorite i think it's 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 definitely i think it's as good as the second one but i think the second one pushes forward in terms of blockbustery kind of entertainment the second one kind of makes some improvements and also falls into some new problems we will definitely get into those new problems yeah the the first and second are very i feel like very even kind of the first one, I think, does benefit from having a little bit more of that lo-fi quality, a little more self-contained. It doesn't scream franchise starter. No, it just screams um, a, a little movie that, thankfully, yeah. the studios put money into, and it worked well yeah, for Yeah, and I think that also helps with the sort of Ed and Lorraine glorification issue, because it feels like a little one-off, and it's like, oh, yeah, these people just go to a you know a haunted house in the middle of nowhere, and they help these people, mm-hmm. and that's it. 
a good thing for maybe a, a Netflix series yeah, if they wanted yeah. to. Maybe if they wait a little bit longer, it would have been yeah, the next maybe. Netflix series. <laughs> uh, but now, going right into the second one, we need to talk about in between one and two, oh. there are three years of basically no con no conjuring like conjuring films in terms of no Vera Farmiga or Patrick Wilson. Yeah. But in that process, while James Wan is off doing Fast and Furious 7 <laughs> and Warner Brothers and New Line are trying to figure out like what should we do before then, they decide to create a shared universe <laughs> based off of the spooky objects that they have in the Conjuring One, because in the Conjuring One they, they establish have a museum in their house. They have a fucking ghost museum that's like right next to Ed's office <laughs> in the basement, and it's just filled with cursed objects. Yeah, it's like a cursed samurai, like yeah. out like cursed samurai armor, and like yeah. Well, uh, and the and the crown jewel of it all is this doll that they talk about in the first film, Annabelle. Yeah, the the film opens with Annabelle right. as this creepy ass doll that is like. It's basically used as a device to kind of show what Ed and Lorraine are all about, what they do, what Mm -hmm. they've accomplished so far. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of, they find this doll that's terrorizing these two girls, like college Mm -hmm. girls or something. And so they they confiscate the doll and put it in their museum and lock it away. It's basically like an evil spirit that just won't leave the person alone if they let it inside their home. And when you see the first film, you, you most people know Annabelle because she was pushed all over. Yeah. I mean, I think for some screeners, they would give out little Annabelle dolls. Oh, gross. Yeah, and it was like, it was this big deal. In the film itself, Annabelle's in like two scenes, pretty much well used in that film, not overly used. Yeah. And then a year later, <laughs> we get the first spinoff. Of the Conjuring universe, which is Annabelle. And it's dog shit. (laughs) (laughs) So as indie horror is getting better with each new studio trying to put in little money, but putting more money into more rising creators who want to do horror. At the same time, there is a studio that is putting money into dog shit horror films. Yeah. That are unfortunately tied to the Conjuring universe, which all three Conjuring films, I would say, are... Fine. They're okay. Yeah, but if okay you, at worst. But if you add the spinoffs, they become so much worse as yeah, a shared universe because terrible. it goes Conjuring One in twenty thirteen, Annabelle in twenty fourteen. I think so. Which was criticized to hell, like no end. And yet also immensely popular. Yeah, but that was the thing too, is I like, think a lot of people honestly saw Annabelle before they saw the Conjuring. Which is oh poor people. <laughs> then again, going from dog shit to something yeah, decent. Yeah. I mean, maybe that is something. Yeah, I think at a certain point, it was like Juan joined the project. A lot of the people joined that project because maybe they liked the Warrens, they liked the idea of the whole narrative, and they tried something different, and it worked. And it seemed like Warner Brothers and New Line were like, what if this was our paranormal activity? Right. You know, cinematic universes are now all the rays. Marvel's doing it well. Maybe yeah. we could do that with spooky objects in the Warrens. <laughs> So by the time the third Conjuring film comes out, the third Conjuring film is considered the eighth film in the <laughs> shared universe in less than ten yeah, years. It's in, yeah, eight movies in nine years. Eight movies. In, 
eight movies in eight years, 2013 oh, eight and 2021. Oh, yeah, yeah. And for the years that didn't have a Conjuring film, we got two the next year. <laughs> because when Conjuring 2 comes out, we get Annabelle 2, which was a prequel to Annabelle. Yeah. And you just, it's so wild to think how from future onwards, when people watch that first Conjuring film, it's going to be hard not to know when you see that fucking doll for the first time. Yeah, that, like that spawns a slew three of awful films. movies. Its own odd trilogy that we are not, <laughs> not in any do. near future going to do <laughs> because I have no interest. Yeah. But anyway, we get into Conjuring 2. Conjuring 2 is two hours and 17 minutes. <laughs> it is more bombastic. Yeah, it feels it's like l- an Avengers movie. Honestly, if, for more reasons than it really should, <laughs> it is less believable in oh, yeah. terms of like, oh, by the, the end house of the like explodes. Yeah, it's like the house nearly crumbles. And at the end, it's like the family still lives in that house to this day. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what? Like, wait, what? No, there's Looks like a. Looks like it got hit by the blitz. There's cracks everywhere. Yeah. Like, who would have fixed that if right. no one believes you? But Conjuring 2 happens, takes place, what, six years? It's yeah, like 78. Six or, six or seven years after 78. the first one. So the first film takes place in like 71, 72. Second film takes place 77, 78. 78. And with the Conjuring 2, we now know that Warner Brothers and New Line are trying to build a shared universe with the Warrens and all the kind of occult supernatural objects that right. they have in their museum. And, and it shows in The Conjuring too. Oh my god. They want it to show. You see, one of the main reasons why I wanted to explain the first <laughs> film's uh, antagonist in The Witch, and I can't remember her name because I mm. think it's, what's her it's name? It's Bathsheba. Yeah, Bathsheba, because it doesn't really matter to a degree. It's yeah. more just like... Oh, evil witch preys on mothers. For really cut and dry for a ghost story. Yeah. You get into Conjuring Two, and the main villain, the main villain in Conjuring Two, <laughs> is a demonic nun who really has no ties to the family. Yeah, and I guess just has a tie to the Warrens on accident. Well, it's like a, it's like there's a main villain, but then there's a double tiered main yeah. villain behind the main villain who's really working from deep within yes. the supernatural realm and it's just like cuz i mean the the ghost or the monster of the movie is the ghost of an old man bill wilkins bill wilkins who previously lived in the house that this fam- this poor family now lives in <laughs> and is terrorizing them and is basically like get out of my house yeah and it's like oh that's Weird and simple, and it's kind of like the first movie, you know? But yeah. the movie starts to kind of snowball as Lorraine has these interactions and visions of this creepy nun lady. Uh, and then it's, yeah, it's revealed that this is like a thousand-year-old nun it's just demon. A demon. It's just a demon that takes the form yeah. of a nun. Yeah, an ancient demon that's, I guess, trying to defy God or something. I don't know. Yeah, the, the big thing about it is... The Warrens try to do something about Amityville. It doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. And it makes them, I guess, quote-unquote look bad because it doesn't really go anywhere. But then in England, there's what they call, you know, London's Amityville, or they call it the British Amityville. And it's like they they get, like, Vietnam flashbacks. Like, oh, no, Amityville (laughs) didn't go well the first time when we tried to help. (laughs) 
And yeah, there's this whole thing where Lorraine is scared that Ed's going to get killed by this nun. Yeah, she starts which... having these visions early in the movie that of Ed dying. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, Ed, we can't go help them. And he's like, well, who are we if we don't go yeah. help them? We have to go help them. And for the first 45 minutes, she doesn't tell him why they shouldn't <laughs> help him. He just, she's, she just goes, oh, we shouldn't. Maybe we should stop. Yeah. She won't explain Maybe why. we're done with this. And Ed, who is the bright, the, the knight in shining yeah. armor fighting against ghosts, he's like, well, we gotta help. Yeah. The the Captain America of this Avengers film. Honestly, let, let's just get continuing this. Continuing the analogy. Get this out of the way. Main reason why you should watch these films is Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson yeah, as Lorraine it, and Ed Warren. Yeah, with Pat- Patrick Wilson in bold, but also Vera Farmiga. Yeah, Vera Farmiga's great. Yeah, she's she, great. She, she, she pulls but, it but off Patrick well. Wilson's great in bold and italics. Mm-hmm. And Vera Farmiga he just sells is... It is italics as many times as you can. You just put Verifamiga many times oh, okay. in the space. But yeah, it's you like do it three, you, you put Verifamiga three times. Three Verifamigas and then Patrick Wilson in bold. Yeah. Yes. So it, and then Q Elvis impression right after yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, seriously, Patrick Wilson as Ed Warren is just, he's just insanely likable in these movies. Yeah. And super charismatic but not like in a smarmy way it's like just he's just a good guy who wants Mm -hmm. to help people and believes in his god and like it's just it's he's wholesome after insidious patrick Patrick wilson ends up getting in conjuring with juan again and then becomes like almost juan comes back to juan from time to time and shows up in aquaman which juan directed ah ocean master he's my boy he's definitely better than the movie oh absolutely Uh, that he'd choose the sceneries if he knows what movie it is i mean arguably at least all the patrick wilson movies i've seen i think he might be better than the movie itself I haven't seen the first Insidious. I would say he is the best part of A Team. Oh yeah, I like yeah, him. I yeah, like him in A Team. Even though I love Liam Neeson's, yeah. I love it when a plan comes that's, together. That's a fun yeah, that's, popcorn movie. That's a dumb movie, but yeah. I like I like that. I like him in that. And yeah, Patrick Wilson's just one of those actors who has just shown himself time and time again to be good, but really doesn't have a franchise. Yeah, and so what, I mean, this is his franchise. But sadly, yeah, that's what it becomes. I mean, yeah. I think you can see in his performances. That when he realizes this is going to be his franchise, and I think that's Annabelle comes home, which is I <laughs> when think he shows one, up in when, the spinoff. Yeah, in the third Annabelle film, it's about like basically the Warrens' daughter has a sleepover, and oh no, what if we go see Annabelle? What if we take her out of her cage? And then Annabelle just fucks with these children while yeah. the Warrens are trying to get to them. <laughs> and there's like one shot in the trailer where I looked at Patrick Wilson and I was like. This looks like the moment where he realizes that this is like the franchise now that he's yeah. a part of. But at the time of Conjuring 2, you know, Vera Farmiga and Wilson in prep of the first Conjuring meet Lorraine Warren because Ed passed away in 06. Mm-hmm. And they thought she was extremely fascinating. Vera Farmiga was just very entranced by Lorraine as a person. And I think Patrick really got a lot from Lorraine talking about Ed to really capture a couple that is honestly the most engaging part out of all three of these films yeah and it's very it's a good call in the haze in the hazes to make them the main characters right because the families are fine but at the same time it is a lot more interesting to have like here's these two demonologists who are if this is all technically true they are just in this is their job yeah and it's like oh that's cool 
Well, and, and despite how clunky it can be to have, you know, the Warrens not show up at the scene of the crime until, like, halfway through the movie, it also, you know, making the Warrens your main characters also allows for then when you, you cut from the Warrens to the house where the spooky stuff happening, it's all spooky all the time. Yes. That's where you can pack in the spooks, and mm-hmm. you're not too worried about giving the families or the victims... <laughs> that much character development. Sadly, um, yes. But, you know, the trade-off of that is that you get more kind of fun, scary stuff, which is ultimately why people go to these movies anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it works out, kind of being able to put the heart on the Warrens and the Spookies on the families. Yeah, it feels like the the big thing is, like, the the daughter in the sequel, uh, I can't remember. She's not, is she the youngest? I can't remember. If the one who gets, like, she's the youngest daughter or whatever. Yeah, yeah, she's the youngest daughter. She's the youngest daughter. She has a makeshift Ouija board. She's made out of magazine <laughs> clippings. And she's asking ghosts if her dad's going to come back. Yeah. And I guess that's supposed to be why the nun is messing with the little girl. Yeah, I guess she I, summons Valak it, that way. Is it time for me to get into it when it is comes it, to the is nun? Is it time for is the it... nun power rant? I'm trying to open the beer <laughs> with one hand. There you go. All right, it's time it's, to talk about the go time. fucking nun. Because it's hard not to watch The Conjuring 2 now and think, oh, it's just setting up a nun solo film. Kind of. Yeah. Where it's like, the best scene in The Conjuring 2 involves the nun. The nun is revealed to be the main antagonist of everything he's yeah. just an evil demon who wants to kill ed because fuck lorraine i guess yeah. and it's just the whole spooky thing is with the nun so you're thinking oh it's gotta be there's gotta be something tied to the nun that they're gonna make a movie out of yeah that same year annabelle 2 comes out creation mm-hmm. and has a literal moment where they look at a like a framed portrait and there is the nun in that picture mm-hmm. And then the Nun film comes out a year later, and it is by far one of the worst fucking horror films I've ever seen. Oh, it's terrible. It's so fucking bad. And it just, it really grates looking back at, yes. like, like once, you, once you've seen The Nun, or even know about The Nun, the movie, going back and watching Conjuring 2 is just like, why is there so much of this movie dedicated to setting up such a waste of time? And also makes the films feel fucking... Less real. If you're trying to... Yeah, that's that's if, the big thing. If you're trying to sell people that these films are truly based off of real case files with Anne Lorraine Warren, then don't try to franchise it with a ghost that may or demon yeah, that's it, real. It's like, okay, so I'm expected to believe that in real life there's an interconnected universe of demons that yeah. all... Their whole job is just to mess with the Warrens, like... It, it's just like when you... And then, like, yeah, when you watch The Nun, the fucking nun is barely in The Nun. Yeah, yeah. She's the like, nun might be in Conjuring 2 more than she's in The I Nun. I think she is. I think Because The is. Nun, the movie, comes up with all these other kind of threats and creepy other nuns. Just and, other creepy nuns. Yeah. That may or may not be but alive. the nun Who herself, knows? a demon named Valak, is barely in it. And it's just shocking to watch The Conjuring 2 being like, do I really need to watch The Nun to figure out why the fuck The Nun is such a big deal in this movie? <laughs> and then we decided we ended up just watching The Nun because I was like, well, it is on HBO Max. Yeah. We've got the time. Well, it, it should also be said, I did not want to watch The Nun. You cause, didn't. Because I, wa- I had already watched The Nun. You can and point- I knew it was terrible. And I'm not blaming you. I'm blaming my girlfriend, Emma, because she insisted that we watch The Nun. He says he's not blaming me, but there's a finger pointed right at my face. <laughs> no, I just knew you wouldn't tell her no. 
Well, because in all honesty, <laughs> you I were was curious. morbidly curious. <laughs> Understand? Because so. I knew the reviews. I knew how shit, like how people talk shit about that film. But it was hard not watching Conjuring Two be like, there is really no true explanation, real explanation as to why this nun is attacking this poor British family, unless it's either. Because she hates Lorraine and just found a random family to hit. Right. Or the nun film will explain it. And so I was like, I might as well. And I wasted a hundred <laughs> minutes of my life to find out that the connection in the nun is what we already knew. It's meaningless, yeah. Yeah, in the first Conjuring, it is established that Lorraine has a bad kind of traumatic moment with a exorcism. And then the sequel, it is established that that exorcism... It was traumatic because the person who was being possessed had the nun in her. And it yeah, was very clear, watching The Conjuring 2, that wasn't the intention in the <laughs> yeah. first film. The well, first film was they a re, They reshoot one shot of that exorcism scene when they redo <laughs> yeah, it in The, the nun. nun to kind of reinsert the actor from The Nun as the guy who gets possessed. And it's just like, yeah. They start and end The Nun on the Conjuring 2 and Conjuring 1 footage that just makes me think, man, I wish I just hadn't wasted my time with this fucking... I laughed. All I could do is laugh at how (laughs) fucking silly and how meaningless and nonsensical the logic was. At least the Conjuring films have some logic in how ghosts fuck with people yeah like the biggest pranksters in the world are fucking ghosts that (laughs) just have nothing else to do but to wear you down to nothing yeah that's the other thing about these movies is just how how as you said how cheeky the ghosts are oh it's the the lengths the lengths that these ghosts and demons go to just to mess with people when they could just like hit them or something or scream in their face Mm. they're like Sending these people on these wild goose chases. Yeah, there's a, the first time in the first Conjuring film, there's a moment where Lorraine is dealing with like laundry outside, oh, yeah. and then like a like a, a bed sheet gets released and then hits a ghost that's just sitting there. Yeah. And the first time it showed in the trailers, you know, people went, "Ha ha, that's spooky." But now I just go like, "That's a good prank. Yeah. That's actually kind of funny. I like that. That's a that's a good little prank they just did right there." Right. And Conjuring Two, the best part about Conjuring Two, like we said, is Ed and Lorraine. It's Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. Like, well, a lot of their logic doesn't make sense in terms of, like, why they don't want to be a part of the actual family and trying to figure out if it's a real possession or not. It's the relationship they kind of build with the family as well as with themselves. Yeah. Like, building their lore and, like, telling about their love story. And it's so much more fascinating than the horror elements (laughs) in this horror film. Yeah. Which is wild. I mean, the Crooked Man's cool. The Crooked Man is cool, cool is ti- but he's also tight. kind of just, like, clearly their version of the Babadook yeah. monster. And we probably would have gotten a fucking spinoff of that film had the nun tanked for good reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, technically, yeah, technically I think the Crooked Man 2, or the Crooked Man movie is still in limbo. But with the pandemic, I don't think it's do, gonna do you happen. Think, do you think it's also because the Bye Bye Man feels a little too close to the Crooked That's Man? Probably. And they're like, I don't want two films that are absolute dog shit kind yeah. of semis. I mean, the Bye Bye Man has nothing to do with the Conjuring, but it, in terms of a, a, a tall, pale, lanky fellow yeah. that preys on people, I feel like you kind of, yeah, let's just push that to the side. Yeah. Well, and the Crooked Man too just felt he was cool in and of himself, and I like how he was introduced into the film. Uh, but he he feels a little off-brand for this series. Absolutely. Because it's mostly just, like, 
old decrepit people again that if, the ghosts take yeah. the form of it, and instead we get this like nightmare before christmas-esque um, like yeah doll like puppet man well what's so cool about it is i think he's i thought when i first saw the film that he's stop motion but i think in I all think actually CGI. i no, i think yeah he's i think he's just an actual dude in a suit, but they cut frames out to make him look like he's stop motion. Parts of it might be real, but I know his his proportions are way too well, inhuman to be an actual true. person sometimes. But the guy who plays him, Javier, yeah. is just otherworldly. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the scene where he first shows up, when he the kid thinks he's the dog staring out well, the that's window. That's CG, of course, that, yeah. But that scene that's is so just good. awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's, but then again, watching that scene, it's hard not to be like, of course, this isn't real. This feels like, you know, Juan and company had a really cool idea, which is <laughs> yeah. good in a film, but, like, in a film that's going to be like, these are the true case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren, and yeah. it's like, no. And now we've got it. three different monsters terrorizing one household in London. Like, Here, Here's a pro tip. There is a actual difference between based on a true story and inspired by true events. Yeah. If you put inspired by true events, it's there's less of a believability that it's going to be, like, the one-to-one real story. Right. And instead, they really push like, no, no, no. Ed and Lorraine are real. That means these are real. Yeah, like, well, okay. not only do they throw the okay. based on a true story tagline in there, like, every movie opens with, like, a text card explaining, this happened in 1981. This is the story. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, that was... No, it's not. It, starts on a, it stops on a freeze frame. Yeah. And it's and like... And then they give you what looks like a newspaper clipping telling you what happened. I read it's it. like, okay. This I is... read it and my brain is Rod Serling from the Twilight yeah, Zone. It, it kind of feels it like reads that. that way, yeah. <laughs> on September 7th, 1981. <laughs> it's like this very Ed much... And Lorraine like, Warren. <laughs> we're about to realize that something afoot is in this house. <laughs> Little did they know that they yeah. had said foot. Into the conjuring. Into the conjuring. Into the nun. <laughs> into the nun. Oh, my God. Yeah, The Conjuring 2 is super fun. It It's super fun in comparison to the other two. I would say it's... Yeah, it's, it's just the, more... just has kind of more to play with. Yeah. And that's good and bad, but, like, kind of mostly good, I guess. I still don't think it's a great movie. I don't even know if I would, like, wholeheartedly send it as a good movie, but it's a, it's a decent mm-hmm. time. It's okay. I think the first two are good. I Especially, think they're both like a three out of five. That's that's solid. I would yeah. say that's a solid choice. Especially when compared to our final film of the <laughs> night. So, in between, again, in between Conjuring 2 and Conjuring 3, there are five years. Yeah. And in between those five years, I think it's pretty clear that Juan doesn't want to stick around anymore. He'll be a part of product producing, maybe story-wise. In Conjuring 3, he helps with the story, I believe. But he wants to go do something different. That different ends up becoming Aquaman. (laughs) Which, whether that's a better choice or not, is entirely up to you. Uh, Might be a better choice for Juan. I don't know that it's a better movie. (laughs) I think in in creativity it is. But yeah, in terms of it being a better movie, I don't think so. Yeah. Even though I, I, I don't know. I I don't like Aquaman, but I appreciate the craziness it, of it. I, I do like it more than you, but I still don't know if I would call it a good movie. <laughs> yeah. it's what it, but then again, there was one of those days where I just like, I'll watch the opening of Aquaman, because that was kind of fun, right? And then I watched the whole thing, and I was like, well, now I don't know how I feel <laughs> about just like the fact that I rewatched it again. I didn't hate it, but, yeah. but that's what Juan's doing. In that five years, we get... 
We get The Nun, we get the last two Annabelle films, Creation, the same year as Conjuring 2, and Annabelle Comes Home in 2019. We get, which I think is probably the most prominent film in terms of three, because the director of this film, The Curse of La Llorona, mm-hmm. becomes the director for The Conjuring, yeah, The Devil Chavez. Made Me Do It. And it is really clear in The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, that Juan is very sparsely involved <laughs> yeah it is uh we were both worried when we first saw the trailer for three because we were just like well this just doesn't look like Juan. yeah it doesn't look like Juan. it doesn't, doesn't look all that spooky it doesn't look like anything yeah. really it just kind of looked like it was there and yeah because that's what's so weird too i feel like if there were no shitty spinoffs in between these three films i think we'd be more kind of like oh i'm kind of curious to see why it took five years yeah. to get to this point. But instead, it feels like they piddle-farted around for a few years with their terrible spinoffs and then thought, oh, well, we, we it's, it's about time. We should we should maybe pump out another one of these mainline mm-hmm. Conjuring movies. Hey, do, do Wilson and Formiga need a house? Yeah. Need a summer house or something? Do they need a... A summer house that they share. Yeah, do they, yeah, do they, need, a, <laughs> do they need a new car? Are kids going to college yet? Like, what, yeah. what do they need? Maybe we should bring them back. And, yeah, The Conjuring 3, just as a whole, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to end the trilogy, but yes. it, you kind of hope it does, because <laughs> there's really not much else to talk it about. It is kind of a nothing movie. I mean, it's, yeah. it's it in the same vein as the first two, the best part about it is still Ed and Lorraine's kind of relationship dynamic. Um, but even that part is kind of significantly weaker than the previous two movies, and, I mean, the scares, I didn't, I didn't. This movie was. There's no scary parts the, in this The Country 3 isn't scary. Not at all. all. It does try, kind of. Um, and I would say there's there's only one scare in the movie that's, like, visually cool. Uh, early on when, when uh, Arnie, the kind of the centerpiece victim of the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, when he's getting sort of possessed by the demon and thinks his landlord is like a monster. That was a good, that was a good moment. That was kind of a cool moment. It didn't scare me, but it looked cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, the rest of the movie is just like a lot of like really lazy, feeble setups for scares that don't really kind mm-hmm. of go anywhere, and they just take the easy way out. Yeah. And, the, I mean, the final confrontation is kind of cool, but not scary at all. Yeah, I think the climax to me was my most engaged I was in terms yeah. of, like, there's that cool shot towards the end where Formiga sees herself. Yeah. And that was that was all kind of a one that was, like, really interesting. It was obviously a, a stunt performer right, in front right. of her, but it was really cool how they set <laughs> yeah. that up and planned it and choreographed it. And I do appreciate that, you know, the first film is about a haunted, is about a witch. The second film is about a demon named Valak. And the third film is about, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the third film, we will we are going to talk about it. It is about a cult. Yeah, occultists. I mean, like, they, yeah, they, call, them, they, they call them about, they Bagul. call them Satanists, which feels a little bit laughable, because I yeah. feel like we're at a point culturally where we know Satanists are not, like, yeah. you know, they're not yeah. sacrificing people to Satan and mm-hmm. stuff. They're just 
it's more of a cultural movement. Mm-hmm. I also that. want to clarify that when I said Bagul, it was to make Andy laugh, and he didn't. I didn't and hear you say Bagul. I said the cults, the cultists were named Bagul. Oh, <laughs> that's the that's the that's the silly name for the ghost and sinister. You mean Mister Boogie? Yeah, Mister Boogie <laughs> from Sinister, from Ethan Hawke's Sinister. But yeah, the the film is the the main antagonist is a Satanist who you th- you think, oh my gosh, is this going to be the Warrens versus a cult of Satanists? Yeah. Nah, it's just one. <laughs> it's just one. It's really just one. Hiding in the sewers. It's, She's like a teenage mutant ninja Satanist. Like <laughs> she, she literally is a Satanist because her adopted father has all the Satanist books and she... Yeah. She, what turned into a, what went from a face turned into her life. Yeah. Well, it was I guess really it's weird. Basically, like he was a priest and the church made him store all of the horrible Satanist books when all the Satanist yeah. cult got put in jail or killed. It's basically what the Warrens and do with their fucking house, yeah, but so they he, judge him as he if got collected, it's weird. He got, yeah, saddled with all these Satanist trinkets and books and stuff, and then his daughter grows up in that house and finds them and gets fascinated with them and mm-hmm. becomes one herself. And It was just funny how in that scene where they go into his, like, I guess, Satanist lair of, yeah. like, all of the, the his books. His library. Yeah, Wilson just looks disgusted and Farmiga is just like, ugh. And it's like, you have fucking Annabelle in a thin, like, glass case that anyone can open. Yeah. Why are you judging this man when you don't even, you have your own shit in your house. <laughs> You let your daughter get to that. Yeah, at least his shit is, like, farther underground. Like, it's one stairway away in the Warren's house. (laughs) Probably right next to the shitter, and you just, like, have a museum of all your ghost objects. (laughs) And, yeah, the the whole thing is about an 81 case about a guy who stabbed his land. It's, uh... Yeah, well, it's it's actually... I mean, it was a very famous court case at the time that yep. the Warrens were actually involved in. It, it was kind of commonly known as the Devil Made Me Do It case, which is where this movie gets its title. Um, which is another frustrating thing about this movie that it's kind of further kind of driving home, oh, this is real. This, this happened. This it's is the closest a, this to was that. a nationally recognized event. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah, this guy Arnie Johnson seemingly without motivation killed his landlord and pled not guilty on the grounds of demonic possession. It was the first time in U.S. history that anybody had ever tried that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, historically, it didn't really work. He still went to prison. Um, That was... I don't don't know how anyone could watch the ending of that film and not kind of chuckle a bit how (laughs) you nearly spend two hours basically proving that this guy didn't do what he did. And then at the very end it goes, he served five years for manslaughter. And it's like, well, I guess the Warrens aren't as good (laughs) as the film wants them to be. Well, yeah, and it would be one thing if they had some sort of moment where it was just like, you know, they... Yeah, the public's never going to believe the Yeah, truth. but they don't give you that. It's literally no. just Ed and Lorraine don't. survive by the skin of their teeth, and then suddenly Arnie's in court, and he <laughs> gets sent to prison. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, I guess we did our jobs. Mm-hmm. The, the Warrens claim that Arnie was possessed by a demon that he invited into him because his girlfriend's brother, youngest brother, I believe, was possessed. Yeah, they and well, the Warrens. The, the Warrens performed an exorcism on mm-hmm. this little boy. Yeah, and apparently when they wrong. failed to succeed in the exorcism. Arnie grabs the boy and basically 
contacts the demon and asks the demon to leave the boy and enter him. You say like, yeah, leave him alone. I'll, I will take, yeah. I will take you. Just and like... nobody knows that that happens except for Ed, but Ed suffers a heart attack during yeah. the exorcism and goes into a coma mm-hmm. and wakes up days later mm-hmm. after Arnie has already killed someone. Yes. Or is uh, about to kill someone. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's actually the day it's of. right before. The, yeah, it's... Because then Lorraine, from the hospital where Ed's at, she calls the police department of the yeah. town where this family lives and goes, this is going to sound weird, but there's about to be a tragedy at this address. And then there is a tragedy, yep. and you know what? They never call the Warrens. <laughs> they, know they never go, wait a minute, remember that crazy woman? Yeah. Maybe she's involved in some right, way. Right, right. Yeah, the the big thing in the first film, the big thing with the Warrens in terms of personal, it's just seeing how they work as demonologists. It's pretty much basic, like, they explain all the rules in terms of how demons and ghosts work. Yeah. The second one is more about how they became a couple, how they met one another, like, what kind of bonds them together, which a big part of it is the Elvis Presley song, Can't Stop Falling in Love, yeah. like, yeah, Falling in Love Can't with You. Which is a great moment at the end. A very sweet moment. Would have been perfect if you ended the two films with just that. <laughs> and then the third film, it's a big thing about you see now for you see now how they fully met each yeah, other in like flashback. in like the fifties. No, it's like the forties because they were born in the twenties. Yeah. And then you see like you know there's this beautiful white gazebo that they're tied to, and Ed has a heart attack, and so now he can't really do what he usually does. Yeah. But by the end of it, love cures prevails. all wounds. Yeah, love prevails. There's a be- there's a funny fucking moment where like you they establish early on at the towards the climax that Ed forgot his heart medicine, oh, yeah. so he's gonna have some issues. But then he doesn't, and then at the very end, he's like, I don't know, I'm it's gonna be hard for me to move. I don't have my heart medicine. And then Lorraine with the cute little locket opens up and there's a heart pill like yeah. I can't, it was like what in the god's name yeah i do, I do kind of like that that he that they established that like oh i didn't bring my heart medicine but then it doesn't come into play at all mm-hmm. until the like after the climax we should also talk about that if anyone should be mad about this of these films it should be the church <laughs> god man the church sucks in all three of these films they're just so it's, incompetent yeah and they, it's like they just refuse to respond to anything yeah the, the films established despite the fact any... that the warrens consistently <laughs> prove themselves right the church would rather have hire free agents to go and deal with their issues and actually send a priest. Yeah. And when they do send a priest in the third film for the opening exorcism, <laughs> he gets knocked out almost yeah, he gets hit immediately. In the head with a plate. And it was like, come on, Gordon, are you serious right now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, at least in The Nun, even though it's a dog shit movie and I'm done talking after this about it, at least they send an actual priest. <laughs> yeah. At least in that film, they're like, listen, we should probably send a priest. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just funny that... In this film, it's like, yeah, again, the church can't do anything. It's just these two people that I think most people don't believe in. Yeah. Because I guess another interesting thing about the second film is that we have more development of the public perception of the Warrens. Yeah, because you get a bit with them, like, on a talk show. Yeah, and, and... The, and, the, and the other guest on the talk show is just genuinely rude. Yeah. Like, he's not, he's like, he's being, he honestly is acting like how Christian films put atheist like how atheists are in christian films yeah, just being totally mean to yeah. them for their and, beliefs yeah it's like that's not 
like people will be booing that guy too. That's not okay. Like yeah. that's just rude. But the but they're letting it happen because yeah. he's the villain. And we yeah. have the the it's heroes. It's just kind of lazy writing. Yeah. Then when the third one, it's like, yeah, it, it's it, there's no real like goofy like we don't trust you because we don't believe in ghosts. It's more like. No, in terms of due process and trying to make sure the trial works, we need what you've heard called evidence, <laughs> and you deal with ghosts and exorcism and shit that people can't see, so we're going to need some evidence. Yeah. And then in the film, the evidence that they find is a satanic totem. Right. Which is what we find out is it's not a ghost that is possessing uh, Arnie or who possessed uh, David. Right. It's a it's the Satanist who put that totem under that house. Because mm-hmm. she's got a secret network of underground tunnels. Yes, of course, sure. That's what happens. And it just, it's weird to see that and it's like, okay, well these are the totems. And it's like, yeah, the totems, but it's like, they're just like chicken bones and a head. Like, I don't yeah, know if right. it's going to fully... And then at that <laughs> point you're like, Oh, there's no way they can prove it unless they get the Satanist alive. Yeah. But then the ending happens, and it's like, oop, time's up, Satanist. Looks like you needed a soul by dust, dawn, yeah. and you fucked up. So <laughs> here comes the demon. And yeah, the there was demon... no timeline established, but then suddenly once they yeah. prevent her from killing Arnie, it's like, oh, demon time. And, and also, it's also wild to think that, like, there have been... If you want to, there are several articles that have come out since this film has come out detailing what we know about that case when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, apparently, when Arnie stabbed his landlord, it was like the landlord like grabbed his girlfriend's cousin's arm and was being extremely aggressive. And that's where the dispute kind of happened. Yeah. And there was more people. There was more, like, you know, uh, oh gosh, I can't even Witnesses. think of it. Yeah, thank you. Witnesses that were there. And we're like, it wasn't just her, his girlfriend and the guy he stabbed. Yeah. And the fact that, like, apparently the youngest brother of the Glatzels, who, wow, surprisingly, there isn't another brother in the film, <laughs> says that the whole thing is bullshit. Like, he just, he believes his brother had a mental illness. Yeah. And apparently, too, if, but if you take what the son had went through, he said that the monster he saw had, like, horns grotesque teeth yeah like honestly some insidious shit that would have been cool to see in this film (laughs) but uh the the spooks that we get are uh a a long-haired creepy woman with yellow eyes oh yeah she's in it like twice yeah and then at the very end the the demon that takes the satanist is just the satanist but with yellow eyes yeah it's like that's oh and there's the the big chubby corpse man Oh, we got to talk about how funny as fuck that Chubby Corpseman was. <laughs> it was funny, too, because we talked about how funny it was that this film feels more monstery. Yeah. In terms of, like, there's just, again, similar to Conjuring 2, there's just more creatures kind of involved. Right, right. But there's, in this, the, I guess this film's Crooked Man, per se. <laughs> it's just this fat, bloated, kind of dead body that comes to life and comes after Yeah, well, they go to the, they break into the morgue. <laughs> Yeah, Ed just breaks into the morgue yeah. and goes, he goes leave, we'll leave a, a note. note. It was like, heroes, everybody. Good Christian Ed <laughs> breaks the glass. He asked, he, he asked God first if he could break yeah. the glass. <laughs> and then they go there, and then Lorraine gets like preoccupied, finally figuring out kind of like a little bit of the Satanist identity. And then like this bloated corpse body just comes up, 
and is running at Lorraine. Yeah. And then Ed pulls Lorraine away. And as Lorraine gets pulled away, the corpse just goes limp. And the funniest <laughs> thing happens where he just goes limp and then just like ting, like hits his head yeah, on he the just, metal. He just dead falls onto the corner of the like court, the the cadaver bed that's just made of metal and just hits his head on it. There's this loud ding and he just slumps to the floor. Oh, it's just gosh. all very fast. It's also funny that the Satanist, when she dies, she kind of, she does like a dead drop. Like she's a drag queen, like <laughs> lip syncing for her life. Yeah, it's like it's so a really, funny. really good drop. It's hilariously comical <laughs> in a film that's supposed to not be comical. Yeah. There's also the scene where they go to a quarry. Oh, and yeah. the, uh, whole CGI. the rain nearly dies. It's in the trailer. And it was funny to watch because this was when we watched it together. It was my first time. It was your second time and Emma's yeah. second time. And you just wouldn't stop talking about, man, everything just looks shitty. <laughs> the background, the trees, the lighting. The arm that grabs her. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it all just like, yeah, it all looks like it's on a green screen. Yeah. But then again, if they had shot this during COVID, maybe that was a shot that was done. Maybe so. I don't know. I just, there just really isn't a lot in this third film. Yeah. And fortunately to say, everybody, that this odd trilogy ends kind of with a little bit of a wet fart. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, my hope is that <laughs> this film being the kind of lackluster third entry that it is, is that it's kind of a sign that, like, you know, the the audience is ready for a higher form of horror. And the, That's the worst part, though, too, is I think critically it's showing that. But it's number one at the box office yeah. right now. And, and during COVID... Yeah. Beating a quiet place in its second week. Well, right, but it's only putting up a, like a third of what Quiet Place did on its opening that week. That is true. And so. Quiet Place could take over in another week or yeah. so. It just was like shocking to me that a film that looks as it does was able to just like still get enough people yeah. in theaters to go see it. Well it's one of those things. I mean, there's enough there's a dedicated they wouldn't have made a conjuring three if they didn't know there was a guaranteed return yeah you know to some degree so at least the opening weekend's gonna be a big hit because there's a lot of people who like the conjuring yeah. and they see the word the conjuring and they're like i'm gonna go see the conjuring i felt similarly i don't know i thought they're gonna make the nun two back in the habit <laughs> back in the habit uh, the uh, nun comes home the nun comes home <laughs> home. i love how i just made a sister act joke and you just went to annabelle comes <laughs> But yeah, that's the Conjuring trilogy, everybody. Yeah. It is just overall, hilariously enough, it, while we talked about it, if you're looking for a fun, you know, actual, genuinely horrifying kind of film about a witch, watch The Witch. If you're looking oh, yeah. for a demon film to watch, oh, gosh, there's a, there's good indie horror demon film. I mean, honestly, I mean, Insidious. Hereditary, Hereditary is a demon. King, <laughs> King Payman. Yeah, but I also see Hereditary is also kind of, in case you have spoilers for Hereditary, also in the culty aspect well, yeah, for like for three. Sure, for sure, but demons uh, and cultists go together. Like, that's true, that's true. I had I had one planned for uh, a demon. I can't think of an indie demon film now, and it makes me sad. Um, I do think, though, in all honesty. <laughs> in Fabric. <laughs> in, oh, God, In Fabric. That's, that's a culty wild too. one. That is a culty one. I In all honesty, I think... The Insidious films, at least the first two. Yeah, the, first. the third one's hot, hot garbage. <laughs> the fourth one I heard is not really that much better, but at least with Insidious 1 and 2, while they're not great films, I think the world that Wanel and Juan try to build is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Enough for the first two films to be like, well, that was a nice, you know, duo. 
a nice double feature. Mm-hmm. There's never needs to be another one again until there was, until <laughs> there were two more. Right, right. And then yeah, Hereditary. I mean, like there's just better. Yeah, films out I mean, there. you know, I'll go to bat for Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, yeah. and I would love for them to. I'm sure they will continue to get good work. Um, I would be totally fine if that's not Conjuring related mm-hmm. for them and. Yeah, I just yeah. While I was kind of looking forward to this third one, cautiously, I think at this point I would rather there not be any more Conjuring movies. And you know, I'm I'm at this point just kind of looking forward to those other horror directors. You know, the Jordan Peels and Ari Aster's and Robert Eggers and yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, I think oh, yeah. I think we've graduated beyond the kind of stuff that the Conjuring is yeah. going to provide us. But at the same time, too, if you like these films. Honestly, I hope everyone who likes the first two Conjuring films really enjoys the third Conjuring film. Like, I truly did not expect to have, like, this much of a change in my opinion on both one and two mm-hmm. going into three. Where I, I didn't feel like it was just going to be like, oh, wow, this feels vastly different. But that's just what happens. And I'm, I don't regret going through all three films. I just don't think I'll ever do it again. Right. Unless someone forces me to. <laughs> I, 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 I think at this point I'm going to watch the first two Insidious movies because I haven't seen those. Well, that's the thing, too. Yeah, I mean, like, that's those are, I think, also Juan and Wannell, who Wannell has gone on to do Upgrade and Invisible Man. Which, which were both good. Good. I mean, Invisible Man, I think, is great. Yeah. Go see Invisible Man if you haven't seen that. We might talk about it in the future, but we'll talk about that later. What are we doing? The Dark Universe? <laughs> Maybe. But that's that's a whole other <laughs> mixed bag for a future for a future trilogy. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, it. we are now at a point where when The Conjuring came out, I think it felt like, oh, we're so much done with Paranormal Activity. Thank yeah. God there's something that's like mainstream that actually has some creativity put into it. And then literally a year later, Ugh. there are independent versions of that that are just vastly more interesting. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it's bad movies. It just means that... Looking back, it's just not going to be as interesting or as spooky as they were. Yeah. But... That's the Conjuring trilogy. We didn't regret it. We mm. did regret the nun, but <laughs> never again. Thankfully, though, our next trilogy is not going to be spooky. It's not going to be action. Kind of is action packed, but yeah, it's more but nothing, nothing, not too heavy. No, it's more, it's more kid friendly, and also something that Andy has re- requested, not tied to a recent release. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's something that I think like a lot of people, especially our age, will have some sort of tie to. And I think we'll bring up a lot of good conversations because of when all these films have come out. The next trilogy we're going to be talking about is The Fall of 2D Dreamworks. Mm-hmm. Those films are The Road to El Dorado, Spirit, The Stallion of the Cimarron. Which, I hate to say it, but that one just got a new movie recently. <laughs> So <laughs> we're not talking about Spirit Untamed. That's for the TV shows. Yeah, I don't yeah. watch that shit. And Sinbad, I think it's like the Legend of the Four Seas or the Seven, Seven Seas. Seas. Yeah, these three films are three of the four animated two D animated DreamWorks films. We'll discuss why the other one's not involved in this. But we're going to talk about how all three of these films were at a very interesting point in DreamWorks' career as a studio. Yeah. You know, hot off the heels of Ants, yeah. we have a... Uh, in the kind of pre- or contemporary world of Shrek. Yes, which will be a big proponent as to why this is the fall of 2D <laughs> DreamWorks. So, 
tune in next week, which is so. This is we're recording uh, live as always. Six, so that's going to be uh, the twelfth. So is it going to be the nineteenth? Oh, nineteenth, yeah. So tune in on the nineteenth when we talk about the fall of Two D DreamWorks. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash and I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.